The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Kids, put away the kielbasa polish and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 579 with guest Jerry Shulist, recorded live Tuesday, July 13, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who will never again, ever, agree to go to the beach in a Speedo, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. We're back. It's Carl, it's Richard, and we're here for the next hour or so talking to the luminaries of the .NET world. But first, hi, Richard. Howdy. How are you? Oh, you know what? It's summertime. It's barbecue time. What better could it be? You know, a little .NET and a little... Uh you know, barbecue rib, I'm a happy man. And we hope uh, the listeners are out there enjoying the summer, at least in this hemisphere. Yes. If you're in the other hemisphere, uh, it sucks to be you. I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, don't make too much fun of them, my friend, because we're headed down their way in August. Yes, I know. What comes around, what goes around comes That's around. Right, yeah, middle of winter in Australia, which is really not that bad. Not but, bad uh, at all. The I deal my is friend, done. We are going to tech at Australia and New Zealand. Isn't that cool? And doing 64-bit question. We'll be doing some panel discussions. We're even doing a couple of sessions. So we'll, bring we'll, back a couple of, we'll bring back a couple of .NET Rock shows for the people. Oh, without a doubt. In fact, I've as many as we can get. So, hey, this is your opportunity. If you've got ideas for shows we should be doing while we're down there, send us an email, .NET Rocks at Franklin's.net. But right now, let's get into Better Know Framework. <laughs> All right. Fairly simple one today. Yeah. Yep. So uh, in looking at word wrap is something that we've all had to write. I mean, if you're a programmer and you've been alive for the last, uh, I don't know, 15 years in, in the business, you've probably written a word wrap function. Yeah. It's one of those staple programming tasks one yeah. time in your life or another. At least it used to be. I don't think it really is anymore. No. Well, that's what I'm here to say. If, ah. you, if you have a, a text block control, let's say, in WPF or Silverlight, uh-huh. and you want to wrap, there's an enumeration. There's a text wrapping property, hmm. and it, there's a text wrapping enumeration also that has three members, wrap with overflow, no wrap, or wrap. Wrap 
is essentially saying line breaking occurs if the line overflows beyond the available block width, even if the standard line breaking algorithm can't determine any line break opportunity, as in the case of a very long word constrained in a fixed width container with no scrolling allowed. Uh-huh. But wrap with overflow, line breaking occurs if the line overflows beyond the available block width. However, a line may overflow beyond the block width if the line breaking algorithm can't determine a line breaking opportunity, as in the case with a very long word constrained in a fixed width container with no scrolling allowed. Do we get that? I get it. Yeah, so there's a couple options. It's not simply yes and no. Yeah, no, no. It's because there's different ways to wrap, and that's very clever. Yep. So uh, I, I like a good wrap. <laughs> <laughs> so let's wrap up this episode of uh, Better Know Framework and get to the email. I can't believe a little I said that. wrapping. There can't you believe go. I did that segue, but go ahead. <laughs> All right, here's an email for you. Uh, Hi, guys. I've been listening to .NET Rocks for a long time, since 100-something, and I've recently discovered that if I'm listening to the show on my way back home, I'm more likely to code at home, which is a good thing for me since I try to do lots of things and sometimes need a little motivation. Yeah, but if your wife founds out it's all our fault, then we're in trouble. (laughs) It would also be nice to hear a show about security, like web security, XP versus Vista and Win7, administration accounts, ordinary users, best practices, those kinds of things. It's been a headache for me for the past little while, especially around different versions of Windows. Funny you should mention that. Yeah. Because your good friend Patrick Hines, who's been on the show many times was our first he's our typical our prototypical first guest yes and michelle larue bastamante whom you all know uh who you all know well she and pat are doing a security podcast through pop productions called lockdown it's a good name yeah so look for that soon we'll be announcing it we also did they were both uh guests on our live uh weekend too so those shows are coming up also and uh, uh, Mizeko here from Poland finishes with, could you do a European road trip for Visual Studio 2012? That would be nice. That'd be fun. Well, A, presumes it will be a Visual Studio 2012. It might be 2013, but that's a different issue. But uh, yeah, I think so. Maybe we should do one for 2010 and just do it a little later. But uh, why wait? We'll see. We'll have to work that out. If you would like this to do a European road trip or you got other ideas or questions, things you'd like to see, send us an email, franklins.net. And that brings us to our show. Uh, let me introduce our guest, Jerry Shulist. Jerry is a solutions architect at Tribune Company, where he specializes in .NET architecture and development. He's worked in the media industry for the last five years and with the entire spectrum of traditional mediums, radio, television, and newspaper. Today, Jerry is part of a small research and development team which focuses on innovative ways to deliver content along with contextual advertising. Welcome, Jerry, and we're talking about Azure today. Thank you. Yeah. So you we're talking about the Tribune company, right? Been around a long, long time, makes a whole lot of newspapers? That's right. Uh, the Tribune company started back in the 1800s. We have eight newspapers today. Some of the big ones that you may notice and recognize are the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Orlando Sentinel, and, of course, a couple of others. In addition to that, we have 23 broadcasting stations. We own a, um, a radio station and a host of other websites and, and other uh, media properties. 
generally it seems like you guys have made the jump to the web pretty thoroughly. Like you, your particular sites, uh, and I can't name all these different websites. So there's a ton of them, but your, a lot of your content now is just automatically online as well as in the other mediums. Right. Our, our consumers are looking to, to consume that content from a wide range of different devices and platforms. They don't just want to consume it through the traditional means, whether that's newspaper or radio or television. They would like to be able to pull that up on a website or on one of their mobile devices. And our goal is really to provide that content to those consumers in any way that they wish to consume it. Now, you must be feeling the, the pressure of the web and, and every other media company that is out there. Um, you have embraced the web, but how is that going for Tribune? It's not easy to survive as a media company today. No, not at all. It's, it's a very difficult transition. Um, the newspaper industry as a whole is, is very archaic in a lot of ways today. So in order to just take the content that's produced for our newspapers and get it online is, is quite a big challenge. And, you know, the two ends of the spectrum are very different in, in terms of how they are run and the processes that they, they follow today. So, you know, the newspapers, to, uh, to produce the newspapers each day, you don't have all of these servers and all of the, the, um, the computing equipment necessary mm. in order to provide and to scale to the demands of the consumers of the website. So it's, it's really completely different, uh, different businesses. And, um, you know, one of the, the goals and the, um, really the needs is to figure out how to pull all that stuff together so that uh, we remove all of that complexity from our consumers and just make that content available to them however they wish to consume it. We, um, we have noticed that, well, you know, a lot of people have noticed too, that in the beginning, you know, when newspapers jumped online, they just put as much content out there as they possibly could. They didn't charge for it. They figured, we'll, we'll figure out later how to make money. And then, of course, it became a huge drain and people stopped buying newspapers and buying print media and uh, everybody wants it for free on the web. I've noticed in our local paper that's online that they've seriously simplified and scaled back their website to be smaller pieces of news stories, um, not as much content, and uh, more of a push to get people to uh, pay. And, of course, New York Times, you know, they're, uh, have they gone full pay yet, the New York Times, for their content? They, they well, plan to. Didn't Rupert Murdoch say that they were going to everything was going to be paid for? Yeah, I believe the last uh, Rupert Murdoch said was that he was going to put up paywalls for everything. I don't know if that's completely transitioned yet. Yeah, that's awfully awfully risky. But when I go to the L.A. Times, which is one of the Tribune sites here, I mean, it's the whole newspaper is online. Right. We so, we produce and deliver all of our content on our our websites as well, and. You know, as we move further along, uh, the content is actually being provided on the web before it's even located in the papers, and that really makes sense. I mean, you want that instant update, that that breaking news to be available as soon as you can get it, and that's simply not possible with the newspapers today. So. It's great. The question is, how do you pay for it? Well, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge, and uh, we have to integrate that contextual advertising. We have to, you know, provide advertising that is valuable to our consumers. And, 
integrate that right alongside the actual content that they're looking for. It's almost like a value-added benefit. Um, as you're reading through the articles and if there's an advertisement right alongside it that either relates to the content that you're reading about or overall has some meaning to you based on your viewing history, um, you know, then the Tribune company is able to continue making money based on the advertising and the consumer is able to get that content for free while being able to, um, you know, possibly get some value-added benefit out of the advertising that goes along with it. And it doesn't always apply. I mean, I'm looking at latimes.com right now, and right next to the photography and video pictures in the news, uh, I'm being sold Gas-X. <laughs> yeah. Next to, uh, you know, something about Haiti, an audio slideshow about Pullman Porter. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's, it's a challenging aspect of advertising, and, you know, that's just one of those things that's going to continue evolving. We're going to come up with better algorithms and better uh, profiling mechanisms so that as our users, um, or as we build better profiles of our users, we're able to deliver more targeted content and more targeted advertising to those, to those consumers. Mm. Yeah, this is the art of that. You know, I, I think we've pretty much all agreed here that it is an advertising revenue model business, and this show too is is that model, right? Same. Give away yep. the show, but charge for the ads. But they got to matter to your audience. That's right. Otherwise, what's the point? But this you know, was actually a show about Azure. So, actually, actually before you say that, I was just going to mention, yeah, and. You know, Roman thinking about Roman Polanski, which is on the front page, actually does give me gas. So <laughs> that uh, that advertisement really gas X was very contextual. How did you know that? Uh... Anyway. That was nice, Carl. I Thank like you. That. Go ahead. Yeah, Rich. that's just all coincidence. It's just great. <laughs> you guys are really smart. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, is Azure all about reducing costs for you guys? Is that what this is about? It's reducing costs, improving processes. Um, it, it's it's a lot of things. Uh, today, you know, as I mentioned, uh, the newspaper industry is very different from our website industry. Oh yeah. And we're just trying to close that gap. And the closer that we can get, uh, you know, obviously, the less money we're spending, the more efficient the processes will become. So I guess the challenge here is getting to the point where. Once a given story is written up and, and so forth, you don't handle it anymore. It just shows up in, in, in the website, in the appropriate newspapers, and so forth. That's, that's the end goal, yes. Uh, you know, produce it once, deliver it on any device and any platform that the consumer would like to, to view it on. Right. Oh, and I noticed you guys have an iPhone app as well, so even more platforms. We do have an iPhone app. And we're working on a host of other devices that we'd like to deliver our content on. And anything new that comes out, really, we're trying to get it uh, out there to the masses. I'm looking at the Microsoft case study, which uh, we've shrinksterized at shrinkster.com slash one echo kilo David. And uh, in there, there's a 2009 statistics for the Tribune company. In 2009, you had eight newspapers, 23 television stations, 50 websites, 32 data centers, 4,000 servers, 
Uh, 75,000 feet, square feet of raised floor. Two, so that's like air-conditioned right. server space. 2,000 right. software applications and 6.1 billion page views. Wow. That's a yeah, lot, but you can see the numbers continuously going up. Right? Uh, eight newspapers, 50 websites, lots yeah. of data centers. So that is obviously the main thrust of your um, media. Right. We would like to consolidate down from those 32 data centers into three data centers. Nice. And those three are really going to be one in L.A., one in Chicago, and then we'd like the other, the third one, to be Windows Azure or or just Azure in general. Now they um, just announced the um, Azure in a box kind of thing. The Uh, Azure Appliance. The Azure Appliance, which really isn't an appliance. It's kind of a data center that you run yourself, but the boxes are all Microsoft managed. Um, is that is that part of your plan, or is this something new that has come out since? That is something new that has come out since, so we have not yet considered that. But because of the amount of data centers and all overall the number of servers that we have today, um, I think you know the more that we can get away from that business and just let Microsoft handle it, the better. Yeah. Hmm. So I I don't see the appliance necessarily being something that uh, we'll be using here in the near future. That's it. That is the real draw of the of the cloud. Obviously, is to take all that stuff off your plate. Why would I want to run just because it runs the operating system? Doesn't you know? And it's managed. It's still on premises, and it's still stuff that I got to look after. Right. So, what pieces right now are you running in Azure? We're mainly using. Azure for the storage aspect, uh, we produce approximately 100 gigabytes of new content each day. And overall, in a given year, we're expecting that we're going to produce 100 terabytes. And just overall scaling to meet that storage need is, is very difficult and, and expensive. Yeah. So we're, we're storing all of our new content into Windows Azure Storage. And each day we're going through an upload process as that content's being created, and we're uploading and pushing that content to to Azure. On so top of in that, some ways it uh, sounds like you're just replacing your SAN with this remote storage. Right, the SAN, but not necessarily just one SAN. We had SANs and and other storage mechanisms at each of the different newspapers, at each of our different broadcasting stations, and. Really, it's about that consolidation. We want to get it into this one centralized repository within Azure and then just make it available to all of our different locations and publications. Well, this gets back to that message you're talking about, about being able to put a show in, uh, or a, a, a story in one location and then it shows up in all the different mediums. Right. I mean, the content produced in Chicago Tribune is not necessarily very specific to Tribune. I mean... There are some local stories and some events that might occur that are, you know, really only uh, pertinent to those residents of the area. Right. But a lot of the content is very usable or um, very important to consumers outside of that very small localized area. How many, um, do you mind telling us how many instances of uh, servers are running? Instances of which which of, server of Azure of Azure you know Azure instances oh, virtual okay. machines um, if you want to call them that 
Right. So we're using the worker roles out in Windows Azure to um, convert or to create thumbnail sizes of all of the images that we upload to Windows Azure. Mm. And that is really scaled throughout the day based on the number of images that are being uploaded. Nice. So we go from anywhere between, you know, probably five is the, the low end all the way up to potentially 50 different instances based on the number of images that are being uploaded. Huh. Now, it's only Tribune employees that are uploading images, right? Today, yes. It's, yeah. it's just Tribune-created content. It's not, it's just not a, you're not using the, the Azure engines to, uh, to face the public at all. That's, that's right. Not today. So I guess then it, it's really helped with employee productivity and, and streamlining your worker process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, when one image gets uploaded, we go through and create multiple resizes of that image. Um, there's no user interaction necessary. And there's a little bit of, you know, extra storage overhead involved in that because we're doing the pre-processing. But in the end, all of it's just ready to be consumed at that point. Uh, you know, depending on the platform that's going to be displaying it, you can just pick the appropriate size that's already pre-generated for you, and there's no, um, you know, runtime cost there anymore because it's all been pre-generated. How many images are we talking about here? Uh, tens of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands. You know, per day, it's going to vary, but in general, uh, the Tribune has years upon years of archives worth of, worth of images, you know, going back all the way to the 1800s. And most of them aren't even digitized today. We only have approximately 25 years of digitized content. Only. So at some, at some point, we will need to go through and digitize the remaining archived content, and that will just, you know, grow the overall content in the cloud exponentially. Right. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you about JustMock, Telerik's mocking tool. And unlike most mocking tools, JustMock can work with non-virtual methods, sealed classes, and static methods and classes, giving you complete control over your code. And of course, you get that great Telerik quality and support. You can read more and download the tool at Telerik.com JustMock. And hey, don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Telerik. You obviously had choices of, of uh, you know, S3 or Azure. What uh, Did you take a look at Amazon's offerings, and why didn't you choose them? So we did take a look at Amazon, and we ultimately ended up choosing Windows Azure because of our, uh, you know, our knowledge of .NET as well as the tools and overall APIs that Windows Azure provides. The dev fabric is phenomenal. Being able to have your own localized instance of the cloud on your, on your development she- machine is very, very powerful. Mm. And, you know, because of that localized instance, which is completely disconnected from the Internet, I was able to do a lot of our initial development on planes going back and forth between our different locations. Yeah. Hmm. 
But, you know, so far we've only, the only part where I could see you use App Fabric is the imagery sizer. Are there other pieces that you're starting to use this technology with? Well, the, the App Fabric or the development fabric is not limited to the worker roles. Everything is exposed, or, or I shouldn't say everything, but the majority of the Windows Azure offering is exposed through the Dev Fabric. So we're able to simulate the storage, the worker queues that we're using, or the Windows Azure queues. We're able to, you know, interact with the table storage. Um, literally, you can d- develop almost the entire application without being connected to the productionized instance of Windows Azure. With what you were doing, you must have done a cost analysis as well. And uh, did you find that the the cost for for what you wanted to do was comparable? Yes. um, Amazon and as well as Azure are very comparable to each other in in terms of cost. So really, again, going back to our existing .NET uh, experience and knowledge, as well as the the tools and, and support available through Windows Azure really made it more attractive and, and uh, a better choice. Yeah. Okay. So um, as as Richard was alluding to, you have this piece growing up there now. Do you? What are your plans for leaning on Azure in the future? What do they include? Um, so today we rely pretty heavily on Akamai, and we're trying to scale that down to some degree. And Windows Azure, or Azure in general, has a CDN that they recently made available, at least uh, production quality. And I think uh, it's going to make a lot of sense for us to start kind of leveraging and relying on that CDN in order to, um, you know, make sure that our our content is readily available with low latency across all of our consumers in different uh, platforms and devices that they would like to retrieve it on. Yeah, so that's out of beta now. Right. It was just, I think, within the last month or two that it came out of beta. It's now full production, and they have um, their pricing set for it and everything. So why move away from Akamai? I mean, they are the biggest content delivery network out there. Akamai is expensive, and it uh, it's also a secondary process. We would have to, you know, figure out how to get the content out of Windows Azure over to Akamai so that it can be cached on their servers, on their edge servers, whereas the Azure CDN is able to pull directly from the uh, Windows Azure storage accounts that we have all of our content stored within. And, you know, it's really pretty seamless at... at, uh, as long as you're within the, the Windows Azure uh, walls or, or, or boundaries. So let's talk about savings. How much money do you expect to save, or have you already saved by, by moving into the cloud? Steve Gable, our CTO, recently said that uh, we're expecting to save $1.5 million annually that we would have spent, and that's really going into the reduction of servers, the reduction of data centers, overall manpower, and and everything else that's associated with maintaining our existing solution while we're moving to the cloud. Okay. But you're not there yet, right? You wanted to get down to three data centers. Like, to me, it sounds like you'd save a lot more money than that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're we're definitely not at our end goal. Um, Those three data centers is, is where we would really like to be. And over the course of, I'm sure, the next couple of years, that's going to be consolidated down more and more 
as we get our content moved over to the cloud and um, we get more of our processes you know, moved over to the cloud to handle rather than these on-premise servers and infrastructure that we have today. But I, you know, I got to think you've got more applications you want to move on to Azure. We have a lot of long-running applications today. Um, we have mainframe servers. We have you name it, everything in existence within within our company. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you guys have been around the whole time computers have been around, so I imagine you've got every tier of computing technology somewhere in the organization. Yeah, I, I think you could throw a stone and, and hit just about every uh, computing technology and every piece of hardware that's ever come out through the last 100 years within our company. And I think that goes back to the fact that Tribune is this older company. We've grown out of acquisition, and we've acquired these different newspapers that were had previous owners and previous solutions. And, you know, o- overall, it's, again, that, that consolidation that we're trying to meet the standardization of processes. Try and merge off older, uh, the business units into common systems, and then they can turn off that old gear they've got. Right, yeah. Get them all onto these standardized processes and applications. Uh, phase out these older, uh, archaic mainframe systems, and it's just going to you know, push us ahead like into the future so far. How does the relationship between the, the news... We really focused on the newspaper side of the sort of stories, but you guys have got even more television stations than newspapers. So how do those two connect together? So they don't connect together in the traditional mediums necessarily. I mean, a lot of times you'll see a newspaper article being referenced or discussed on your evening news. Right. But the other way, you know, television to newspaper doesn't really happen. And, um, you know, the only real way that you're ever going to see that integration is on one of our websites or electronically, where you might see a um, newspaper article featured online, and then you will also see something that ran on one of our television stations or one of our broadcasting stations, that clip for the, from the evening news or some feature that was highlighted. We try to, you know, correlate those two and make them available um, as related articles or related pieces of content online. Is there sort of a central news gathering organization within Tribune that's provide, you know, they talk about there's no original content being made anymore, that with all the bloggers and the tweets and so forth, it's just regurgitating what else has been made. Where do you guys get your root news? Like, do you still have reporters actually making new news? Yeah, we do still have reporters. And, uh, they're spread out across the entire country at uh, the different locations. Um, so like each of the that, papers has a, a reporting contingent that's reporting into a central pool? Yeah, they, they do share and, uh, you know, distribute their information across the Tribune boundaries and different business uh, units now. So we are moving towards, you know, a centralized um, newspaper production system and we're centralizing and standardizing on different communication mechanisms so that the stories produced in Orlando uh, can be seen and used by, you know, L.A., for instance. And overall, you know, we're trying to make sure that uh, the overall sharing and um, 
creation of new content is not being duplicated across the, the country. Or across so that's got to be the a part of the aspect of Azure is here's a guy in Florida does up a story, posts it into that central store, and all of the papers can see it. Right, yeah. So Including you know, his own, the, right? Hmm, yeah. Including his own, yeah. All, <laughs> all of the content as it's being stored into Windows Azure is also being indexed by a fast installation that we have set up. And really what that fast index does is it provides that unified search index that, uh, you know, anybody within the company and and potentially soon in the near future, uh, externally visible, users will be able to search for what they're looking for. And that's very flexible. I mean, you can go down to, I'm looking in this publication or I'm looking at this date or I'm looking for these keywords, or, you know, really any one of these faceted group, uh, you know, searching mechanisms. And you utilized a Microsoft Search Server for that? Microsoft. Uh, Fast? Right. Which was, you know, one of the search properties that Microsoft acquired, uh, I think now two or three years ago. I have not heard of this Fast Search. Fast is... And I'm trying my know. very best not to say, I thought they only bought slow search, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to explain it other than it's probably called fast because it is fast. Right. So um, there's the fast search server 2010 for SharePoint. Um, that's a search solution delivers the power of fast for SharePoint. But I guess, as you were saying, fast search server is just a it's an acquired... Uh, an acquired thing. Well, there's uh, there's really two of them. Uh, and there's been some rebranding here recently, so I don't know the exact names, but there was one for internet businesses, which is externally facing. There was one internally, and then there's one that they are now integrating into SharePoint. So um, we have one that pretty much allows us to make everything available uh, through the internet to internal as well as external uh, users. So how difficult was this to integrate in? This is just a separate product, obviously, Microsoft sells. And, and are you pointing it back at Azure, or does it run on Azure? It doesn't run on Azure today. We would certainly love to see that. And uh, I've, I've recently talked to some Microsoft uh, employees in order to get that accomplished. But so we have fast running on-premise today. And as content is being distributed to Azure, we are creating this standardized XML format that uh, gets, you know, created for each article, each um, picture, video, everything. I mean, any piece of content has this standardized XML file created for it. And it contains all of the metadata, all of the important information surrounding that piece of content. Nice. Well, in addition to sending that up to Windows Azure, today, because Fast is on-premise, we create and store just that XML file locally on-premise as well. And really what that allows for is, is very quick um, re-indexing. So if we wanted to change the index or if there's some DR that happens in disaster recovery um, process that we need to run through, we can very quickly re-index and rebuild the index um, for fast for all of the searching. So you're just working with essentially local files then. you They just go into this place where a service just 
spits them up to Azure and indexes them and, and you're done. So you really don't have to interact the way you work in any kind of uh, communicative way. Right. There's, there's really no need for fast reach back to Azure. So it's super low latency. And yet fast is aware of everything that's stored out in Azure because if, you know, I should have said that the first step um, to creating that XML file is that we distribute all of that content out to the cloud first. We make sure that all of those locations that, uh, you know, of those different pieces of content in the cloud are stored within that XML file. And then that XML file is saved locally and then indexed. So the index, the search, actually has all of the paths out to Azure storage, and it knows where everything is located within the cloud. So when somebody performs a search, you know, they not only have all of the metadata, they have the exact position of those files and those pieces of content within the cloud. But it does mean we, we're not necessarily indexing the body of the article. You're just indexing the metadata. Well, the, the body of the article is relatively small as well, especially compared to a lot of the binary-based Im- images and video and other things like that. So the, the XML files that are created do include the body text. Really, any text or metadata is included in those XML files. Um, can you talk a minute about uh, your plans to use Azure Compute capabilities to create dynamic layouts based on uh, selected content? Sure. So we have this, this algorithm that we're working on internally that uh, given some body or some boundary box, we can give it a result set you know, from our fast search, for instance, and say, fill it in the most optimal way. And because there is a very open-ended number of possibilities there, especially if the result set is very large, the processing on that is, you know, it's intensive. So one of the things that we've considered and and that we're certainly looking into is moving that processing um, from on-premise out into the cloud. You know, stick it in some worker role or, or expose it through a WCF service that's running in the cloud. And that will really allow us that uh, elastic scale flexibility that the cloud offers. Especially when you throw in contextual search or, or some sense of you know who the user is. So you know you're going to get a different list of articles for each one of your users that they probably want to look at. And then you want to build a custom layout for that. Right, yeah, it's not something that you can very easily pre-process. I mean, you could create a certain number of buckets and, you know, generate some, you know, predefined layout for those different buckets. But, you know, as much as we, you know, we would really like to provide each user with exactly what they're looking for, that customized layout with the contextual advertising and all of the articles that they're interested in. I mean, today you probably have a number of different blogs that you look at. And even if they are very specific on, you know, like the industry, for instance, that industry still might contain information that you don't really care about or that you would consider less valuable. So if we can get it down to, you know, Carla, Richard, you like sports, specifically baseball, you're interested in C-sharp development, and you like... um, cars or something like that. 
then, you know, let's provide you a very specific dynamic layout based on that information with the contextual advertising at, uh, you know, whenever you'd like it. So it's not necessarily pre-processed. It will include all of the most up-to-date content articles that we've, you know, recently um, put together. So, I mean, I know you're working on contextual advertising right now. Is it largely what articles are being read that you draw from for uh, for ads? Yes, uh, today it is, and and not only just based on what they've read, it's you know what they're currently looking at, and overall the the profiling of the user up until that point. Right. Yeah, I guess that means you've got to sort of assign a relationship between a given article and a given ad. Yeah, and that's you know, certainly a challenge. Right. You know, we have to have enough metadata surrounding both pieces of content, whether it's the advertising or, or the article itself. Do you have and, problems updating metadata when it requires to be changed? Because that seems to be a, you know, an ongoing issue. You know, when there's, when there's new categories and there's new ways to classify something, you have to go back through a whole lot of data and, and change it. And it's something that can't be done really by a machine. I mean, I think I think personally that a human has to make those value judgments at least today. Right. And we have a couple of different tools within our organization that helps with that that exact uh, problem. We have a, a Teragram taxonomy uh, engine that uh, has user-defined rules that can produce categories and concepts given a piece of content. And so each time a new piece of content is added to the cloud as well as the index, it, uh, it gets passed through that uh, taxonomy engine, which gives us those con- categories and concepts. So there is some you know, pre-processing or, or, or some um, automatic electronic version that uh, can derive the categories and concepts or, or what those pieces of content might, um, might relate to or might... Um, be related to, and, uh, you know, that can also be run on some regular basis because we have those files stored locally on-premise. Assuming that we want to rebuild the index or update some number of those articles or pieces of content with new categories and concepts, it's just a matter of kicking off a batch process saying, you know, take articles 1 through 1,000, run them through the taxonomy engine again and update our, our fast index with those new items so that they can be exposed with the new metadata, the new keywords and everything that have been, um, you know, recently defined by the new roles in, in the taxonomy engine. Well, it sounds like you've got a big pile of work ahead of you still because there's all these different pieces moving at once. I like the idea of offloading that layout work into the cloud where you can basically expand the engine as much as you need to, depending on demand. So uh, we're just about out of time. Is there anything else that you want to throw in there before we call it a day? No, I, I think uh, that that covers it really well. Um, we certainly do have a lot of work ahead of us, and I'm very excited to have these cloud offerings like Windows Azure to assist us with development and, and overall uh you know, developing these these very highly scalable applications and solutions. Uh, Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
You're welcome. We're looking forward to seeing what Tribune uh, comes uh, comes out with in the future in terms of what we can see online. That's uh, based in Azure. And thank you very much for joining us for this last hour. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.